Hello and welcome to Points of Change, the show that is all about those moments in life where we can turn things around and make changes to the positive. Now, I'm very happy that I'm being joined live in the live stream today by an expert in procrastination. So that's what we're going to be talking about, moving from procrastination into productivity is the theme of today's show. Let's, uh, let's get into it with our friend Eric Twiggs in just a moment. Welcome to Points of Change, the show where week by week I will be chatting with coaches, mentors, experts, change makers, people who have achieved or are helping other people to achieve incredible transformations in life, business, health, relationships or any area. Make sure you like and subscribe to the show and never miss an episode to find your Points of Change. So let me welcome to Points of Change, Eric Twiggs. Eric is uh, an expert, an author, and he has uh, an incredible book, which is called The Discipline of Now. He consults and speaks um, all over the place about how to beat procrastination. He has a foolproof formula for getting you out of procrastination and into activity. Please welcome to the show, Eric Twiggs. Hi, Eric. Hi, John. Thank you for having me on your show. It's truly an honor. It's, it's an honor for me to have you on here. I've been looking forward to speaking to you for a while. And I think this is the first time that I've actually had someone on to specifically address the issue of procrastination. And I don't know if I've ever met anyone who doesn't ever procrastinate. I guess there might be people out there, but how common is it as a problem for people? So there was a study that was done in Calgary, in Canada, and they concluded that 95% of the population has some type of an issue with procrastination. Now, John, I believe that the other 5%, they just haven't gotten around to completing the survey. <laughs> That's how serious this thing is. But no, it is prevalent, uh, it, this whole procrastination problem. Yeah, and you know, I, I certainly suffer with it as much as anyone else. What, what, do you, what are the worst things that you hear from people who are struggling with this in terms of how it might be affecting, negatively impacting their lives. So the challenge is people don't really realize that it's really, hold, that, that that's the thing that's holding them back. I mean, even if something as simple as they're paying more late fees because they're putting off paying bills, right. they're waiting until the last minute to do presentations. And it's not gonna be as good if you're not putting the time in in the early stages of development. So it, and I, the thing I, I like to say about procrastination, it's a silent killer right. because you think you're getting away with it. Sometimes there's not a, an immediate negative consequence. It's not like the procrastination police come and arrest you. It's <laughs> you think you're getting away yeah. with it. And then it makes it worse. What makes it worse is let's say you do a presentation and you waited until the last minute and people are patting you on the back saying, Oh, Eric, that was so great. Now you start telling yourself, Oh, I work better under pressure. I, I work better when I wait until the last minute. So it's a serious problem that we need to get our arms around. Indeed we do. I have a theory about procrastination, Eric, and I want to get your input on it because I, I may be somewhere in the right ballpark, I hope, or I might be way off bat. So I'm really, really good to ask an expert on this. My theory is that uh, procrastination is what ends up happening as, more as a default setting for people when they haven't practiced the art of proactivity or taking action on things sooner or later. You just tend to fall into this thing of, well, putting things off or doing them when you absolutely have to rather than getting a head start on things. What, what, do, what do you feel on that? Is that somewhere in the right ballpark? 
Yeah, I think uh, there's some truth to that because I, I feel like the easiest thing to do is nothing, right? And so if, that's why if you don't, if you're not aware, and, and the theme of my book, the overarching theme of my book, The Discipline of Now, it's all about awareness and, right. and being aware of what triggers you to procrastinate. Because we said procrastination is a prevalent problem, but what I've also found is that I have yet to meet that person that procrastinates with everything in their life. Now, people say, I always procrastinate. That's not really true because I know people that procrastinate in, in professional settings, but they are spot on when it comes to something with their children or something around the house. So the key thing is to pay attention to your trigger points. And because, for example, a lot of people procrastinate on, on tasks that they just don't like to do. Right. It's not that deep. It's not that complicated. They just don't enjoy the task. So for them, it's e the easiest thing to do is nothing. So if you can recognize that about yourself, you can put things in place to where that thing gets done without you necessarily having to do it. So so delegation could be a good a good way or planning sometimes is the thing. Um, I, I often work, when I work with coaching clients, one of the things that I will sometimes teach them, especially if they're having difficulty in getting things done or getting things started, is uh, holding themselves to a higher level of accountability uh, by creating Ulysses packs where they kind of lock, lock themselves into things and uh, they have such a high level of accountability for it that they just have to do it. Like uh, for, for me, for example, when I, when I first started doing martial arts training years ago, um, in seven o'clock in the morning start time for training, you have to get up pretty early. So to get to make myself do that, I would always promise them the night before that I would see them at training the next day. And it's like, okay, well, I've promised I'm going to do that. So now I have to do it. And it's like, you know, I don't have any trouble getting myself to the airport for an early morning flight. But for some reason, uh, it was more of a challenge to do that thing, I guess, because it was optional. Um, but always, you know, it's always something of, I always feel better afterwards. Is that, is that something that you would recommend as well? Yeah, I, I think accountability is critical. I think public accountability is like, for example, when I ran a marathon back in 2017, I, I ran a marathon and I purposely told people like a year in advance that I was running this marathon for the simple reason that I knew that people would be always asking me how my training was going. And there would be people like family members that would want to attend to support me. So it forced me to take the necessary actions. And, and I would also, if you can't put your money on the line, that's a big motivator. Like I paid for the marathon. Right a year plus in advance, knowing I've got money on the line now. And you can do that in other areas if it's a workout program. But I, I think the key is just building in that, that public accountability. I'm a big fan of that. Yeah. You mentioned to me that you have a very specific process that you take people through in helping them to move into more uh, productivity, into beating procrastination. So what, what's the first step of that process that you start working with people on? Yes. So I've got, it's called the procrastination prevention pyramid. And, and this, this is the, one of the big things that separates my book from the others on the same topic. And this pyramid that I developed is based off of over 28,000 coaching sessions with executives and entrepreneurs. So the first step, if I'm looking at helping someone to overcome procrastination, the first rung on the pyramid is their attitude, how they think. This is the foundation of the pyramid 
because your attitude is the foundation of your success. And so I remember I'd be earlier in my coaching career, I'd be working with someone who may be struggling to get a financial result. And I kept beating the result, the result, the result, the result. But I had to I had to step back and look at the mindset and look at the beliefs and look at how they think. So the common thing with the attitude piece is 80 percent of the typical person's self-talk is negative. If you just I mean, if you just sit. Just listen to the th- the thoughts that come to mind throughout the day, unchecked. Eighty percent is negative, and, and that can turn you into a pessimist and make it more likely that you procrastinate. So you have to offset that. So you have to break that negativity habit. And the best way to break a bad habit is to replace it with a better one. And so one of the things I have people do is you have to start a win log, a W I N log, right? And that's a sheet of paper, notepad, and throughout the day you're tracking your wins. You're tracking your victories. You're tracking progress that you're making. And I'm telling you, I've had people that start when we started this, they couldn't come up with a single win. But now they won't get up. They won't let me continue the conversation until we talk about all of their wins. So that the first step to overcoming procrastination is checking your attitude. Yeah, I love that. I've I've read quite a few studies recently, in fact, on on just how effective it is to celebrate those small wins and how much that can positively impact your your mindset. I know for myself, certainly when I was younger, one of the things people would often comment to me on is that I never seemed to get enthusiastic about anything. And uh, and because of that, I think I was very low motivation on moving things forward. So so I kind of drifted uh, through through many things in my life. I ended up being very lucky considering that that was a very poor strategy but it was only really when I started actually working on my mindset and realizing that um, enthusiasm was something I had to generate that I had to turn it around myself not expect it just to happen or that things should automatically be creating that for me it had to come from me and that was a big big lesson for me and and my motivation rocketed from there so I really really like what what you're saying there what else is going to help people to to increase their productivity so the first step is a is a attitude that's the foundational rung of the pyramid the next step is awareness we talked about that's kind of the overarching theme but being aware of your power times and one of the things that just frustrated me to no end with some of these other productivity books is that they they led you to believe that you're a loser if you don't wake up at four o'clock every morning. Right. That's, that's what they that lead you to believe. Yeah. Yeah. But that, that's not the case. You can be a night owl and still be highly productive. You can be a morning person like I am and be highly productive. But here's the key. The key is to schedule your high priority activity during those times of day when you have the most energy that that's really the key it's not so much about getting up at four and running a marathon before everybody else is woken up that, that don't believe yeah. that hype it's it's really about scheduling to to your power times no i like that because the, i know when i first started in the personal development industry more than 10 years ago, maybe around more like 15, 16 years back. That was very much what people seem to be teaching. Like uh, you're almost like trying to get people to recondition themselves mentally into type A personality, go-getters and having to get up at four o'clock in the morning, like you're saying, and become this super achiever. 
And it's like, well, it's saying you can actually work more naturally with yourself and your own life rhythms and what works for you. But find those times where you have the energy, where your mind's clearer and, and you, you can actually do that and utilize them. What are some of the ways that you can best utilize those sorts of times, do you think? So just for example, like for me, I know that I am a morning person. So I will do creative projects early. So the mistake I would make, John, is that I would wait until later in the evening and I would try to write something and do something creative and the ideas just weren't coming. And I, I thought I had writer's block. But then when I would try to write the same thing early in the morning, then all the ideas started to flow. And, and, and that's critical. Even if it's if, if you schedule your day and you have a day full of meetings, I would try to do your most challenge. If you're a morning person, you, the, the meetings that require the most energy and effort, I, if you can schedule those during that time when you when your energy is at its peak. Right. And then Keep try the problem, to schedule yeah. things when you know you don't have the energy, you know, schedule lower uh, activities that require lower output. Right. Which makes perfect sense. Like get the hard stuff out of the way whilst you're at your peak. And yes. then the easier stuff is is going to be easier to navigate as well. Yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. And uh, I, I love this idea of like not having to become this model of, uh, of what a perfect producer and proactive person right. should look like. What, what else is included in your process, Eric? So, so we've already talked about attitude. We've already talked about awareness. Now, again, in the book, I go much deeper and provide more examples and scenarios, but we're just kind of get, getting some of the basic things here. Yeah. So, so the third key is animation. And, and, it, and it's really about energy and, and always making sure that you're in a positive, doing things to make sure you're in a positive place as it relates to your energy. And if you look at, the, if you go back to the times where you've been procrastinating the most, a lot of times it's when you're in a low energy state, where yeah. you're in a low energy cycle. So you need, so the key is looking at how much sleep are you getting? Uh, what types of food are you eating? Are you exercising? The exercise piece is big. Uh, I saw a study from Thomas Corley. Uh, he, he wrote this the study on rich habits and he studied all these wealthy entrepreneurs and concluded that like 80% of them have this workout habit where they work out at least three days a week, 30 minutes a day with cardio. Right. And the reason for that, is because they recognize how important energy is. And like, I'm a big fan of naps. I'm a me too. <laughs> notorious nap taker. Yeah. And so for me, I know that I'm a morning person. And if I'm not totally aware, as we get later in the day, my energy will, will drain. And if I'm doing a podcast or I'm appearing on a podcast, that'll come out that my energy's low. So yeah. I, I'll, I'll take naps and, and those types of things. And it, it helps to renew my energy. But really paying attention to your energy levels and doing things to make sure you're in a good place energy-wise. I like that. Yeah, I, I believe in the power of napping so much that I created a, a little napping meditation corner in my office. So that that's where I go. In fact, I say I nap, I tend to actually rather than have a nap in the afternoon, I find that um, 20 minutes of meditation time actually has more or less the same effect for me that I always come back feeling refreshed and, and alert after doing that. So it's like my, my productivity increases after after that afternoon slump. And, and also it keep, helps me keep my meditation practice daily as well. So I see a lot of uh, a lot of power in that for people. Uh, and I know that sometimes uh, and here in Spain, 
Spanish love their siestas. So uh, it's nice to take uh, that little bit of time out in the day. And most people don't do it. But um, I think that there is, has been a lot of study uh, showing that it has has huge benefit. Even Google implemented nap pods into into their business. I don't know if they're still doing that, but um, just so that if anyone was overly tired, rather than try and force yourself through a lack of productivity, go and take 20 or 30 minutes in the nap pod and then come back and be productive. Oh, for sure. And the other thing is really about recovery. It's about understanding recovery. And one of the things I learned, remember I told you earlier, I ran a marathon. Yeah. And that's one of my takeaways from that experience, how important recovery is. Like, like you have to literally build in recovery to your plan. So, for example, if you're looking to run a marathon, not only are you thinking about how do I run 26 miles, but what's my strategy for recovery as I'm training so that when I go out the next day, I have energy and I, I can run and my, my legs are fresh. So it's the same thing in business. So working 13 hours nonstop isn't an ideal thing, contrary to popular belief. Just working, 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 working nonstop. It's building in recovery. The reason why people burn out is because they, they're not building in that recovery. Recovery could be taking a vacation. But, but that's, I think that's so critical as it relates to energy and animation. Yeah, and, and also we... That I think the way things often are set up or the experiences people end up finding themselves having, uh, that often they're trying to do a full-time job or, or maybe more than one job, uh, or they, they have their side hustle at the very least on top of that. And, and sometimes even with all of those things, still struggling to, to make ends meet. So it always feels like you have to do more and more, but the, the, you know, the time has to come from somewhere. And often people do end up taking it from their recovery time, from their sleep time, or not having any time off from what they're doing at all. And it is, it is a recipe for, for burnout, particularly. So then things like napping and meditation do, in my experience, do help with that. But I think you do also need some time away, some time of there's just you by yourself, some stillness and quiet, uh, and a time to switch off your brain from the work stuff, right? Oh, for sure. And, and like, I just look at me, like the times, so so my wife, she she forces me into a recovery program. <laughs> she says, look, we're, we need to go on vacation this year. We're, we're taking the kids, we're going here. But I tell you what, you know, when I, I go and I'm not even thinking about business. When I come back, it just seems like I have these extra ideas and my creativity is at a completely different level because of that whole concept of recovery. Yeah. And, and I think the reason I tend to encounter from people as to why they don't do that is this feel, feeling more of like it has to be now uh, and that everything has to happen as soon as possible. Uh, but also this guilt. I often hear people talking about this guilt they feel if they're not working on their business or not bringing, uh, not working on turning up their income or, or pushing something forward. It, they feel guilty for taking any time off whatsoever. We've kind of created, the, or I think from maybe from the 80s and 90s on, we've created this work culture of like, that we're supposed to live for our jobs rather than work work for a living we live for our work uh, and it's it's the wrong way around and and to a point in when an extreme point in some cultures like in japan they even have an, a name which i can't remember now for work by uh over, death by overworking and uh it, it's these sorts of things that take people down that path unfortunately it's a very toxic culture no i agree with that and, and again it goes back to just some of the misconceptions that are out there that Oh, I, it, we, work is so glorified. Oh, I, you, I'm the hardest worker in the room. You won't outwork me. 
But I think yeah. there's a difference between being active and being effective. Yeah, you, you can be working and working and working, but how effective are you? So, so it's working on the right thing. That's also building in recovery. I, mean, I think that's the key. Yeah. So we need to stop wearing, uh, working all the hours uh, that God sends as a badge of honor. And uh, so saying rather than trying to compete on how much we work, uh, if you're going to compete in that way, uh, then compete on your productivity, compete on what you can achieve, compete on your creativity. These things are perhaps far more important these days, especially if you are a business owner or a coach or a consultant or executive, you need to be able to have this level of flexibility and not just be doing some all out push to maximum burnout, right? Sure. Absolutely. So, so take us to the next step in your pyramid, Eric. Good. So, so the next step is automation. And, and John, I, I wish what I'm about to say next, I wish someone would have told me this earlier in my career. It would have made my life much easier. And, and here it is that just because something has to be done, it doesn't mean that you have to do it. <laughs> yeah. I wish I understood that earlier in my career. And yeah, me so too. the automation step is all about creating systems where things, certain things can get done so you don't have to touch them. You know, is, right. is that delegating? Is that bringing on a virtual assistant? It, you know, if you look at email, for example, that's one of the things that just frustrates people to no end. They just get bombarded with all these emails. Can you create systems within your email so certain emails are going right to certain folders that you don't have to process and touch everything, but really get. So the whole point of automation, automation frees you up so you can stay in your zone of genius. You know, that that's a term I, I got from there's a book out. It's called The Big Leap. And, and oh, he, yeah. Gay Hendricks, right? Yeah, right, right. Yeah. And, he, and he coined that phrase, the zone of genius. Yeah. And the zone of genius are those those things that you are just uniquely equipped to do. It's it's it could be writing. It could be speaking. It could be coaching people. But it, ideally, that's where you're spending the majority of your time. And some of the other tasks that, that these are tasks that need to be done, but you don't necessarily have to do them. You know, you can set up systems so they're getting done and they free you up to focus on your zone of genius. Right, which is which is fantastic and probably good news to many people. Um, the business owners particularly are some of the worst, you know, like self-employed people or small business owners are some of the worst who do think you have to do everything yourself. You end up being a one-person band and uh, you're trying to play all the instruments at once and it, all you're really creating is uh, is a mess, really. And, uh, and again, and a path to burnout because you know ultimately you have to you have to find the time to deliver all these things uh, but it's a huge level of stress uh, and burden to put upon yourself you know i know that even for myself at some points in business just get to a point where you're thinking i can't handle these aspects of what i'm doing myself i need to hire someone else to do it or i don't know how to do this and i i need someone else's expertise to do it because i don't have the time to learn it it just makes so much sense to leverage your time this way. Um, what happened for, for you? I mean, I'm assuming you, you've done this for yourself. What kind of things have you done to um, to help automate your, your own life and business? Well, look, I'll give you an example. From, so years ago, back when I was working in, in a corporate setting, I had 500 employees. I had 17 locations. I had managers in each location. And... So what, what would happen, let's say if there was a, a customer complaint in one of the locations, they would just give it, hey, yeah, you have to call Eric. Okay, you have to call Eric. So I would literally spend 
like, you know, half of my day just talking to upset customers. And then I'd say, I didn't know just because it has to be done doesn't mean that I have to be the one to do it. So finally, one day I said, look, I got my managers together and I said, you are responsible for dealing with these customers. This is this. And, and if it gets to me, I'm not going to take any t- I had a policy. If it gets to me, it's free. <laughs> I'm not going to take any time to, pr- to troubleshoot or problem solve. And I don't care if it costs you your bonus. I don't right. care if they went $10,000, but I'm just going to give it back to them. I'm not going to. And guess what? I never got a complaint again. <laughs> and not only that, they made great decisions. I mean, some decisions that were better than I would have come up with. But that was an early lesson of the fact that, you know, it, just because it has to be done, it doesn't mean that I have to do it. So can you delegate? Can you yeah. outline what people are empowered to handle on their own so that you're freed up to be in your zone of genius? Right. I think that's a great example of placing a, a very necessary boundary around your time and energy that says, you know, th- this is what uh, these are things I will deal with and, and what I do, because this is where as you talked about zone of genius. I mean, these are the things that actually I don't really need to be doing it. And they take away from that. They use up brain power. They use up energy. Uh, someone else could be doing this and uh, it doesn't need to be me. Leave me to focus on this stuff. So I think that that's a super important part of it. I was thinking actually of a client I had ages ago, a very successful business owner, but she was really looking to take her her business, her manufacturing company to another level. And the bottleneck, uh, the bottleneck, unsurprisingly perhaps, turned out to be her because she because she was micromanaging, which is a similar kind of thing. You know, it's very much related. She didn't trust her employees to do their own job. So she ends up trying to oversee and monitor as closely as possible what other people are doing because she didn't feel that she could just leave them to go on with it. Uh, and we worked on this and worked on this, but it's like, ultimately it's like, we, I helped her to realize that that was the big bottleneck in her business, but she wasn't prepared to leave that. So well, the whole time you're not prepared to do something about it, you are stuck here. If you can't learn to trust people and delegate properly and step away and let them do what they need to do, then you are going to still find yourself in these same problems and you're never going to be able to scale as big as you want. So if growth and scalability and and increased productivity are things you actually want, you have to do this, right? Yes, for sure. So I think with entrepreneurs and high-level executives, sometimes your big strength is your big weakness, right? Right. Your big strength is your ability to get things done. Your ability to make it happen, but your weakness is your ability to get things done because you're like I, nobody can do it like Eric. Right. And I know I can trust if I do it, but can I trust if I delegate this to Joe over here? So, and again, but it's about awareness and understanding for you to get to your next level. You need to really be working more on your business and not as much in the business. Of course. Yeah, perfect sense. So so let's recap what we've covered so far in your pyramid. Okay, great. So first we talked about attitude. Attitude is the foundation of the pyramid. It's the foundation of, the, of your success. Next, we talked about awareness, being aware of your power times. Uh, then we talked about animation, really understanding how important energy is to overcoming procrastination, making sure that you build in recovery to your ultimate plan. The fourth step is automation. Just because it has to be done doesn't mean that you have to do it. Make sure you've got systems in place so that you can stay in your zone of genius. Great. So there's, there's a fifth step as well, right? So what's at, the top, of the, what's at the top of the pyramid, Eric? <laughs> at the top of the pyramid, John, 
is action or act, actually it's activity is what, the way I have it labeled. And the key thing is I've got it at the top of the pyramid because in order for you to get to the top, at some point you have to take action. That, that's why I have it up there. We can meditate. Meditation is important. You can have a vision board. I'm a big fan of vision boards. You can have mantras and sayings and all of that. But at some point you have to do something. And that's why action is at the top. But again, it's about taking the right action and focusing on the 20% of the actions that are going to get you the 80% of your results. Okay. So that's the Pareto principle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how, how do people do that? I mean, how do you get focused on what is the right kind of action and go start figuring that out? Well, you need to be clear on where you're trying to go. But one of the things I do is I have something that's called the Twigs Top Five, okay, right? Cool. Twigs Top Five. So I have to, every day I've got a three by five card. Like if you ever see me, I've always got a three by five card uh, that's in my, in my shirt pocket or what have you. And so what I do is at the end of my day, I write down the five critical things that have to be done for the following day. And, and these five critical things are things that align with where I want to go. These are five things that are going to help me move forward. Now, in that, in that moment, there may be little steps, but they, I can always align them with uh, where I'm trying to go. So I write them out the night before. And, and it's, the night before is critical because it allows your subconscious mind to go to work. Because sometimes you may write something down and think, oh, how am I going to do that? But then yeah. when you wake up, you've got ideas on how you're going to do that. And I'm I feel compelled. Anytime I write something on the paper, I'm going through my day, I feel compelled to get it done. And it's like a, a, there's something to be said for when you write something and how it links to your brain and it links to your subconscious. So that's how I stay focused on the, taking the right action on a daily basis. Yeah. So would you recommend people use could use things like uh, I, I, I use a list making app and things like that. I use Todoist, which uh, gives you reminders of the tasks that you schedule in. Uh, do you think those sorts of things are helpful? Sure. Yeah, I think reminders are helpful. Um, I can just say for me, it works better to write things down when it comes to that. It just creates more of a, an imprint on the brain. But, but I'm a big fan of making appointments with yourself. Right. So instead yeah. of saying, I'm going to write a blog post this week, I would say I'm going to write a blog post on Tuesday at one o'clock from yeah. one o'clock to two o'clock. I'm going to be writing this blog post and then I would schedule it. So if it's using an app, if it's using, just using Google Calendar, I would schedule it and setting a reminder. Because I do find that when you put it on the calendar, the chance of you actually doing it goes up by like 80%. Yeah, massively. I, I think that is the moment at which it changes from being an intention to being a scheduled activity. Yes. And because uh, I often get asked about what's the difference between your uh, between your plan of action and your actual actions. It's like, well, this is the difference, being specific about exactly what you're going to do, when you're going to do it, where you're going to do it, what you need to do it, as much detail as you can put in, but actually have it on your calendar as well, then it becomes a commitment. Then it becomes a, an actual action that you're going to do rather than just, well, yeah, I'm going to do that this week. Um, that may not actually happen. So yeah, I think that's a, a really important key, key to the puzzle. Uh, have some specificity, commit yourselves to time, make an appointment with yourself because we tend to honor our appointments with other people, hopefully. 
Um, but if we can't honor our own appointments with ourselves, then maybe we don't have too much chance of, of keeping bigger commitments outside of that, right? Sure. And, and I tell you, like, I've worked with quite a few clients. And when we first started talking, they would say, Eric, you know, I just had this procrastination problem. And, and, and the first thing I would have them do is making a, start making appointments with themselves. And they tell me that just that step has helped them to not procrastinate like they were procrastinating before. So it really made it a lot better. Just that that one that one habit. Yeah, it's it's great. I mean, what what have been some of the best results you've seen in people that you you've worked with and spoken to, or have been using your method? Yeah. So I mean, I I can I have a client in particular that comes to mind who we would talk, and he's one of the reasons I started having people write down their wins. We would talk and he would always tell me about everything that was going wrong and how, oh, the economy, oh, it's an election year, oh, blah, 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 blah. And finally, I'm like, stop. Okay. <laughs> From now on, you're going to tell me what you're grateful for. When we start our sessions, you have to begin our sessions with what you're grateful for. And, and at first we started that and it was like, it was like pulling teeth, getting them to think of things. Yeah. But over time, I mean, it just kept flowing and flowing and flowing and he would, and again, it got to a point where if I didn't start the session that way, he would always catch me and say, hey, no, you didn't ask me what I was grateful for today. Hey, and, and it, it it helped to turn his business around. When we first started this, he had to be there and he was in the he was stuck in the weeds. And months and months later, the business started doing better. He was there a lot less. He was focused on some of his other side businesses and the the, the business was doing better without him being there. That sounds, that sounds, it's interesting to me because, I mean, from, from what you're describing there as well, it's the situation of uh, we get very pulled into everything that's going on in the world and in, in, you know, in news, politics um, and life and gossip and all sorts of things. There's a lot of dramas and things going on that we can easily be pulled into. But just with something like a practice of gratitude, you, you have to start turning the focus inwards a bit, which is, I think, one of the things we don't always do or don't often do. Uh, and, you know, I... I taught and, and done presentations over the years on how gratitude, I feel that gratitude saved my life and, and turned things around. So I do think it's a, a key part of this, but it is just having that awareness. And the more you start to think in those terms, the more you will start to look for or even create things to be grateful for and see more of that in your life and appreciate everything you've got rather than being in this sort of downward spiral of ah, everything's falling apart the world's going to hell in the handbasket uh, get refocused on actually there's still so many good things to to focus on in the life uh, whilst we're alive whilst we can enjoy these things we're just robbing ourselves of, of joy and success and fulfillment if we're not doing that and here's what I do. you you tend to get more of whatever you track so, so if you start tracking gratitude, you, you start finding things to be grateful for. That, and these things were always there, but now you're tracking it and you're paying attention to it. So you, you get more of it. Yeah. Yeah. Some, some of the biggest personal growth things for me have been to track. Uh, I track my gratitude with my daily journaling. I use the five-minute journal. I also use the productivity journal from uh, Intelligent Change, both the same company. And uh, so every day I'm sort of putting down my tasks and, and the things that I'm going to do and tracking how much time I spend doing these things as well and reviewing that, planning my tasks for the week ahead and then reviewing at the end of the week, what did I get done? What didn't get done? Celebrating the wins. I, I think they're incredibly powerful tools. 
your your method is even simpler, just a three by five card in your pocket to help you keep track of things and write down what you're going to do the next day and make those appointments for yourself, put in your calendar. It, it's, it doesn't have to be complicated, but there are so many tools out there that could help you with this as well. Yeah, what I find is it helps to build your confidence too, because yeah. I mean, when you know that you're keeping your promises to yourself, and that's the key. If you want to build confidence, get in the habit of if you say you're going to do if you say you're going to work out, you work out. Now you're starting to build confidence. Now you're starting to, to build momentum. Um, but yeah. And, and the other thing is that you get because there's always that sneaking thought in your mind where you're thinking, you know, is there something else that I could be doing? Oh, this. But when you know, look, here are my five priorities. I did. I did the five things. I know I'm doing what it is that I need to do. Yeah. So, so it, it helps you that way as well. Do, do you think maybe some people perhaps resist the push into action because they're worried that they're going to have to suddenly transform everything in their lives or become a type A overachiever? Yeah, I, I think sometimes there's a self-confidence issue where it's like, I, you know, I'm just not that person. I'm not, you know, I don't know if I can if I can do that um, or I don't know. Or sometimes it, it even can be like a fear of success, right? which is common. I, I mean, a lot of people who, okay, what, what, what if I can't measure up to whatever the demands of the next level call for? So what if, what if I do this presentation and it goes great and they want me to do another one? And it's like, Oh, I don't have another one. I just had that one. Right. But, but that, but, but the whole key, and I, I always teach this to people, it's, it's a formula that's be, do and have. So if I can become more, I can do more. If ultimately I can do more, then I can have more. Yeah. So, so it all starts with becoming. What, what, you know, this is this a constant thing where you, you're always looking to get better. And if you if if you're always getting better, you don't have to worry about what the next level is going to bring because you'll be prepared. Yeah. I think too, too many people spend far too many far too much time worrying about what other people think of them, and I think this often holds people back. And, you know, I work a lot with people in public speaking and presentation skills, so and this is something I see all the time with people. Like the fear, often the fear of presenting or public speaking or putting yourself out there in any capacity, is that of embarrassing yourself and and maybe even being shamed and shouted down by people. And yet, you know, realistically, sometimes we have to go through some of these awkward or embarrassing experiences to get the growth. Um, we don't get there without some of the hard work and effort that goes into it, which you know, unfortunately is the message that not everyone wants to hear. But I mean, your your plan of action with a good, you know, starting off with a good mindset, which I love, is that's such a critical place to start. And then building up practically to doing everything that's going to support you to take action and the right kind of action. And it just sounds fantastic. So I really like what you're teaching about uh, uh, about becoming more proactive and, and beating procrastination. It sounds like a fantastic system. For for anyone who's watching or listening who who wants to find out more about you, um, you have a website, yeah? Yes. So you can go to thedisciplineofnow.com. It's the same title as the book, thedisciplineofnow.com. And you can pick up a copy of the book, The Discipline of Now, 12 Practical Principles to Overcome Procrastination. It's available in audio and paperback and as an ebook as well. 
But definitely, definitely don't put off checking that out and getting a, getting a copy of Eric's book as well. It sounds fantastic. I want to check it out myself. I love hearing more about this. I think it's such an exciting area to work on. Um, Eric, is there anything else people should know or that you want to share before we wrap things up for today? Yeah, something else too. I'm the president of the What Now movement. And this is a movement we started at the beginning of the pandemic because I would meet people who maybe was somebody that was a stand-up comedian and they would say, I can't go to the comedy club anymore because it's, it's closed. I'm just going to wait until things get back to normal. No, you don't wait. The key is pivoting. And, and so we started, and this is really in line with my mission to overcome procrastination. Myself and my two business partners, Ted Fells and Dr. Sharon H. Porter, we started the What Now movement. And it's a Facebook group that you can join. You can interact with me directly, but we, we provide daily tools and videos to inspire you to pivot and always keep moving and ask yourself. So the question you should always ask if you if you come up against a challenge is what now? If you ask yourself that question, it, it helps you to pivot towards what's possible. It's, I think it's, it's vitally important to always be asking yourself good questions. That uh, uh, So what now, what next? Uh, yeah, definitely a good thing to be thinking about. Good. So I'll make sure that there's some information on that in the, in the show notes so that for the YouTube video, for people watching the replay as well. So you can quickly access that as well and go and check out Eric's Facebook group and find out more about that. It's, it's been a real pleasure chatting to you, Eric. I'm so glad we were able to arrange this. What, what are you going to be uh, proactive about today? <laughs> well, I am going to be proactive. I'm going to be writing. I've got a little article piece that I'm working on. I'm going to be writing that um, on some of my procrastination prevention principles. So I'm definitely excited about that. And also, I'm going to be recording an episode of the 30-Minute Hour podcast. So that's those are two things I'm really excited about. Excellent stuff. Well, we'll have all the information on how you can find out more about Eric and get in touch with him as well. Check out his book, his uh, Facebook group and podcasting. And uh, we'll be back with more very, very soon. Thanks for joining us today on uh, Points of Change. It's been a real joy. Thanks, Eric. Thank you, John. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you've enjoyed the show. If you did, please subscribe to the show and don't miss a single episode that's coming up. Also, you may want to check out some of our recent episodes for this brand new show. Still to come in our second week of launch, we're speaking with Anthony Santolinas about how to have clarity in leadership positions. We're also speaking with my dear friend, Lauren Walburn, the learning pirate about the neuroscience of learning, a vital one for any course creators or budding course creators out there. And also my very good friend, Vicky Wachey, is coming on to talk about how she transformed her life through property investing and how she's now helping people to prepare for a wealthy retirement with her work as a property coach. Don't miss a single episode of that and please support the show in any way that you're able to. Maybe that's subscribing to the show. Perhaps it's picking a particular episode that you like and leaving us a review on Apple. Maybe it's sharing some episodes with your friends because the more of these empowering conversations that we get to share, the more empowered more people end up being. Have an amazing day and I'll see you again very soon for another episode of Points of Change.